Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here on this lovely, bright bank holiday weekend. As our call to worship, we hear some words from the prophet Isaiah. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for for the Lord. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The first reading this morning is from Psalm 126, which can be found on page 618 of the Old Testament. When the Lord brought us back to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. How we laughed, how we sang for joy. Then the other nations said about us, the Lord did great things for them. Indeed, he did great things for us. How happy we were. Lord, make us prosperous again, just as the rain brings water back to dry riverbeds. Let those who wept as they sowed their seed gather the harvest with joy. Those who wept as they went out carrying the seed will come back singing for joy as they bring in the harvest. And our second reading is from John chapter 20 verses 19 to 29, and that can be found on page 145 of the New Testament. Jesus appears to his disciples. It was late that Sunday evening, and the disciples were gathered together behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. Then Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. After saying this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy at seeing the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, Unless I see the scars of the nails in his hands, and put my finger on those scars, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were together again indoors, and Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Then stretch out your hand and put it in my side. Stop your doubting and believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Do you believe because you see me? How happy are those who believe without seeing me. Amen. This is God's word. Today is one of two Sundays in the church year that are called Low Sundays. There's something quite healthy about following the rhythm of the church year, but not so religiously that it gets in the way. And it's been great to celebrate Aidan's life this morning. And it's been a great weekend for a lot of people. There was some little event going on in London, I gather, on Friday, which seemed to get quite a lot of attention. And there were lots of other people getting married all over Britain that day. Lots of celebrations. But there is some tension there between celebration and this being a low Sunday. And that's why I picked the title I did, not really quite knowing how things would be when we got to it. When I chose the theme, I found coming to my mind an experience I had when I was training to be a minister in Manchester. At the end of my first year, I was sent to work full-time for six weeks in a small church on a kind of suburban bit on the edge of Manchester. And I arrived on my first day, which was a Monday morning, to go into the vestry, which I was using as an office. And as I arrived, one of the deacons was there to greet me. And I thought, that's lovely. She's come to meet me. And then I realized that her face was white and her demeanor was agitated. I'm so glad you're here, she said. We've just had the news that Ethel's grandson was murdered last night in front of his own daughter. What on earth could I say to Ethel? That's not her real name, by the way a woman in her 90s who I'd never met in a situation I couldn't possibly imagine. But I went and sat with her and prayed with her. That afternoon, a group of lively teenagers arrived from Essex. I can't do the accent, I'm afraid. They were going to take part in the Soul Survivor Message to Manchester event. They were coming to this little church to take part in leading community events, bits and bobs of street evangelism, and to share in a teenage Christian music fest. What should I say to them about the context into which they'd arrived? People I didn't yet know, and people who, with the certainty and forgivable enthusiasm and arrogance of youth, had come to change this place for Jesus. They thought they were bringing Jesus to somewhere that Jesus already wasn't. Their energy and excitement and enthusiasm were unquenchable, and they laughed when they told me how they'd been thrown out of the Trafford Centre, where they'd been handing out leaflets for the the concert in the evening without permission. In those six weeks, that little church community experienced all of the following as well as the murder. A stillbirth, the sudden death of a much-loved elderly member, 
the marriage of a young couple and another young couple brought their children for dedication. My final service coincided with the arrival of their new long-term student minister, who is still a friend of mine to this day. And in my sermon, I found myself quoting the words of a pop song popular at the time. Life is a roller coaster. You've just got to ride it. (laughs) My college tutor, who was there to welcome the new student, commented it was the first time he'd ever heard Ronan Keating cited in worship. Well, this is the second time. When people try to find metaphors for life, it seems that the fairground or theme park is a popular one. For people who've got a long enough memory to recall when we took the Eurovision Song Contest quite seriously and Britain won it, there are these words. Love is just like a merry-go-round with all the fun of the fair. One day I'm feeling down on the ground. Then I'm up in the air. Quite a few people are too young to remember that one. I can just about. By the wonders of Google, I found some other songs, some of which are not suitable to share in public worship, it has to be said, relating to life's ups and downs. But here is another one. Life has its little ups and downs, like ponies on a merry-go-round. And as I thought about those fairground metaphors, I thought, actually, do they work? How well do they work? Because with all metaphors, the way that they are not like is as important as the way they are like the thing that we are relating them to. The thing that really struck me is with a fairground or a theme park, we choose to go on the rides. We may be queue for ages watching other people just for a few moments of thrill. And although we go up and down, we may be whirled round and round, we might be frightened, we might feel very sick, we might say, let me off, let me off. On the whole, we think it's fun. And if we don't, well, we just don't go on that ride again. It can be a good feeling, but it's fleeting. We get off, new people get on, and we move on to something else. It's not quite like that with life, is it? You can't choose what life brings you, and you can't get off, no matter how much you might want to. I think sometimes life is a bit like a roundabout. I remember as a child being spun around so fast that I felt sick. And sometimes life is a bit like that. A bit more like that, perhaps, than the gentle rise and fall of the ponies on the carousel, which I used to love. Sometimes life is like a roller coaster. We get carried along through the highs and lows, round the corners. We get jostled and jolted. We can't get off if we want to. We can't stop, even for a moment, as we're carried on through a passage of events. Our life as a community of believers in Jesus is not so different from the one that I shared with you at the start of what I've just been saying. In recent months, we have rejoiced in the growth of the number of students worshipping with us, home students and overseas students. We've delighted in the birth of baby Max. We've welcomed Katrina and Margaret, who I can't even see, 
into membership. But in the same time, we have been shocked and saddened by news of sickness and death. Not just those who were elderly or frail, but sometimes those who were young and seemingly strong. Sometimes on the same day that we've laughed, we've also cried. Some days, perhaps we felt guilty that we were happy when we knew somebody else who was sad. Or perhaps we have felt bad that we were so focused on our own little world when other people were having a much worse time. Sometimes we knew that we ought to be rejoicing in someone else's good news, but we felt very blue. And if we're honest, sometimes we felt we couldn't tell anyone how it really was for us. And so perhaps that carousel image is not so bad after all, because some people are on the horses that are high up, having a good time, and others are going down or are at the bottom, having a more difficult time. And perhaps that image of a group of people on a merry-go-round, a carousel, is quite helpful because it reminds us that some people are having a good time and some people are having a very tough time. This morning, there are people here who are feeling great about life. They have things to celebrate. And there are people for whom life is very difficult. They are mourning or grieving or worrying. And yet, mysteriously, we're all here today. All of that is a long introduction to taking a very brief look at what the psalmist had to say and what part of the Easter story, as recorded by John, has to say. The reading from John's Gospel spans two Sundays with a silent gap in between them. There's actually far more we don't know about that week than we do. And the story starts what for us is last Sunday, Easter Sunday. A day in which so much had happened, but it was still raw and unprocessed. And tired, bemused, bewildered disciples hid themselves away with the door to the room locked and barred because they were terrified. They'd seen Jesus arrested and tried and executed. The bottom had fallen out of their world. When they heard the report of the empty tomb, when they saw Mary saying that she'd seen Jesus, they were confused and concerned. And each of those men would have had his own feelings. I wonder how Peter felt. Was he feeling very bad about what he'd said on that evening of the trial? And I wonder why Thomas wasn't there. Was he perhaps too upset or too angry or too frightened to venture out that day? But suddenly in the midst of that confusion and bewilderment, Jesus is among them. And basically he just says, hello. He says shalom because that's what they said in those days. But effectively, he just said, hello. 
And then we have John's equivalence to the Great Commission. Jesus says, as God has sent me, I send you. And John's equivalent to Pentecost, receive the Holy Spirit. It seems that from despair and bewilderment, we've been flung high in the air to a place of joy and delight. At least that's how it seems to us 2,000 years later as we read what John has to say. And then six days of silence, only we don't get anything to help us through them. I wonder if during that week Thomas met with the others and listened to what it was they had to say and thought, you know, that just sounds crazy. Ah, don't think that's right. And how easy it is for us to be a bit hard on Thomas when actually we've all had those moments, haven't we? When we just can't understand something. We can't believe it. We can't take it in. It could be something good. It could be something terrible. But we're just going, how many times have we, like Victor Victor Meldrew said, I don't believe it. I can't do his accent either. But Thomas couldn't believe it. It was too much for him. And so a week later, when they gathered again and locked the doors again because they were still pretty scared, Thomas had his own experience of Jesus. And it's Thomas who makes this public profession of faith when he says, my Lord and my God. We don't hear that in the voices of any of the others. I think sometimes we get so taken up with Thomas that we miss the fact that the other disciples are still scared. They're still behind locked doors. What they have experienced, the resurrection, hasn't changed real life for them. It's still scary. There is still a real chance they will get arrested, maybe even greater chance they'll get arrested now with this story of resurrection. Jerusalem wasn't an easy place to be. Last week, we thought about how the Easter story changes everything and yet doesn't change anything at all. It leaves us the same, but somehow different. And I think this story carries on that same theme. For all Jesus had achieved, which the disciples couldn't yet understand, their everyday reality was still the same. They were still frightened. They still knew that they could be arrested and executed. The gift of God's Holy Spirit, and with it the blessing of God's shalom, didn't take them out of their own reality. Their every day was still the same as it was. We actually have to move away from John's Gospel, I think, and into Matthew's to find some words to comfort us within that sameness that carries on beyond resurrection. Matthew's Gospel closes with the words, I'm with you always to the end of the age. doesn't say we'll be lifted out of it. doesn't say the apostles would be lifted out of their struggles. But Jesus promised by the Spirit to be with them. 
the stories that are recorded for us in the book of Acts and that are hinted at in the epistles, along with the stories and legends beyond the bounds of scripture, show us that the disciples didn't have an easy life. Of course, they have moments of fantastic delight. Lots of people came to faith. Remember that story of Pentecost, thousands and thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus. New churches sprang up. Miraculous signs occurred. But they also saw their friends arrested and tortured and ridiculed and executed. They were rejected by people they'd always known. They were thrown out of the community of the synagogue that they knew and loved. The highs and lows of life didn't vanish. The smooth path Isaiah had spoken about didn't mean that life became easy. They still had to struggle on in a broken and battered world. But what changed was inside them. It was how they learned to live with hope and fear, with love and hate, with faith and doubt, with joy and sorrow. And some of those themes we will be returning to in the next few weeks. Sometimes, perhaps, the most resonant parts of scripture for us are the book of, in the book of Psalms. And Psalm 126, which we had read for us this morning, is one of those known as a psalm of ascent, or as I've been known to rename them, the yomping psalms. The psalms that people sang as they walked on their way to worship, on their way to Jerusalem or their way up a hill, sometimes literally, sometimes metaphorically, climbing higher above the plains of everyday life to focus on God. Psalm 146 was written in the middle of real life, in a time when there was real struggle to keep going. The singers recall happy times when captives returned to Zion singing and laughing. And now, in a time of struggle, they call on God to restore them once more. And the psalm closes with a mixture of prayer and promise. Promises, I think, for us this morning, for there are some who struggle today. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves with them. This morning, we dance with Jen and Andrew, Carl and Aidan as they celebrate the potential and possibility of new life. This morning, we stand alongside Yomi mourning his brother and Betty, Fiona, Graham and the wider family waiting and watching with Kerr. This morning, we are together, some experiencing highs, some experiencing lows, and some somewhere in between. But whatever life is like for us, whether we're on a high or low or somewhere in the middle, 
We have that promise of Jesus that he is with us always to the very end of the age. Amen. In our prayers of intercession this morning, you're going to be asked to use your imagination. And you might like to imagine that you are here in Glasgow, or perhaps if you are an overseas visitor or a visitor from another place, you would like to imagine you are in the place you call home. Imagine, if you can, that you are in a high place, perhaps at the top of a hill, perhaps up a tower, maybe at the window of an upper flat, able to look out across this city or at the place you call home. Notice all the signs of the city, town or village. Perhaps there are office blocks, Shops and retail parks, schools, colleges and universities, hospitals, railway stations and bus depots, parks and leisure centres. As you look around, what is it that draws your eye? What demands your attention? And why? Loving God, we thank you for this city in all its diversity and complexity. For the thousands of people who live and love, work and play here. From a distance, it looks so calm and beautiful. Yet we know that all is not well. Here in Glasgow, violence, sectarianism, neglect, disease and despair wreak havoc in the lives of people like us. And so we pray for the healing of our city, the places we call home, recognising our own need to be part of the answer. Now I imagine you to imagine, invite you to imagine that you are further up still, or perhaps further out, on a space station maybe, or if your imagination works that way, sitting on a cloud or standing on another planet. From this vantage point, look at the earth. Notice all the signs of life, forests and oceans, mountains, deserts and rivers, towns, cities, villages, roads and railway lines, giant human constructions and ancient natural phenomena. As you look around, what draws your eye? Which places demand your attention? And why?
loving God. We thank you for our planet in all its complexity and diversity. For all forms of life and the bounty with which you have blessed us. As a popular song says, from a distance the world is blue and green and the snow-capped mountains white. But we know that all is not well. War, famine, disease, human-made and natural disasters, poverty and despair, all wreak havoc and destroy life. We pray for the healing of our planet, recognising our own need to be part of the answer. Now come back to the here and now, to this place and this time. If you've closed your eyes, you might like to open them. And take a moment to look around at the people who are here this morning. Enjoy the wonder that you see. Different colours of skin, hair and eyes. Different ages. Different backgrounds and aspirations. As you look around this place, who is it or what is it? that draws your eye? What demands your attention and why? Loving God, we thank you for this community of which we are part. In all its wonderful diversity and its sometimes bewildering complexity, To see us on a Sunday, all looks calm and orderly. Yet we know there are those for whom life is a constant challenge and those for whom life is a challenge for a while. Today we pray especially for Yomi and his family coming to terms with the death of his brother. We pray for Kerr, so ill in hospital for his wife Betty, for Fiona and Graham, and for their partners and children. We pray for Irene Allen as she recovers from a nasty fall. May your loving arms embrace these people we love and your strength sustain them. As we've given thanks for the gift of new life, we pray for all parents, grandparents, and other relatives who care for children. May they have wisdom and patience for the challenges they face. We thank you for those who filled our pulpits in recent months. And today especially, we pray for Frances Bloomfield as she prepares to face the Board of Ministry this week. May she know your peace in her heart. And may your spirit wisdom guide the decision-making process. In a moment of silence, we take time to bring to God 
the lows and the highs of our own lives, seeking guidance and support for the days ahead. Loving God, who in Jesus had experienced every human emotion and temptation, who has laughed and cried, shouted and whispered, lived and died. We offer our prayers confidently in his name, knowing that you will hear and that you will answer. Amen. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen us with power through his Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power to grasp with all the saints how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power and work that is within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.